we have a group of people in the church who are looking at, examining, thinking about um, environmental issues. And uh, we're really pleased that that's been going ahead. And we are still thinking those things through and trying to get some action points that we've, we've got down and we're trying to work through them as a church. But uh, one of the things we, we've been looking at is, is you, you might be aware that we have a warm spots throughout the church um, on, through the week where people can come and just sit and have coffee and chat because uh, increasingly the problem in our, in, our, in our community is people who can't afford to heat their housing and feed the kids and do all the things that, that's expected of them. So one of the things we've been looking at and examining is um, something which Ron's going to bring to you. He's, he's going to speak for about five minutes. And just checking. And um, we're just going to talk a little bit around that whole cosy home thing, uh, partly to help you, but also to inform you and to help your friends. Thanks, Paul. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm now the, officially the church's Cold to Cosy Homes champion, which is, sounds like a grand title. What it means is my job to raise the awareness of this scheme, which I'm going to tell you about now. So then my job will be done. That'll be, that's it. Done. Finished. <laughs> Not quite. Um, CAF's uh, Cumbrian Action for Sustainability are the people behind this scheme, which is called Cold, Cold to Cosy Homes. Next slide, please. And it's funded by the Energy Industry Voluntary Reader Scheme. So basically, the energy industry pay money into this scheme and, and it helps fund things like this. So it's a bit of them giving back to us, really. Next slide. Um, the reason for the scheme, of course, is fuel poverty. Uh, and how they define that is that if somebody's got a, a, a residential, their income is below the poverty line, and that's accounting for the, the amount of energy they need to use. And the property itself has an energy rating of D or below, then you're, you're going to be eligible for the scheme and hopefully you'll get some help from it. Next slide, please. Um, first thing to see is about the impact on children, of course, because if you live in a cold home, it's going to have an effect on you. And it has a huge effect on children. And it, they, it's known that if you live in a cold and damp home, of course, you've seen stuff on the news about people suffering with their health, but it also affects their ability at school, their performance, and has a lifelong effect on those children. And it's difficult to break that cycle once you get into it. Next slide, please. But of course, it affects everybody. So not just children, but adults only. And this is some of the reasons or some of the things some of the impact that a cold home can have people. Blood pressure, heart risk, of heart, sorry, heart attack, stroke, breathing problems, flu, eczema, depression, social isolation, mental health and stress related problems. Yeah, obviously. Next slide. Uh, this is just a quick table here showing you the impact of heat. If you've got a nice cozy home, then you're all fine. If it's like freezing cold, there's a risk of hypothermia and in between, there's the issues there like increased blood pressure, risk of cardiovascular disease and diminished resistance against diseases. So it's important that people do have a, a reasonably well-heated home. Next slide. Um, so criteria-wise, there's actually a very wide range of criteria for people that are eligible for advice from this scheme. Uh, this is one of the slides here about health, and as you can see, there's lots of different things where 
Um, if you've got one of those conditions, then that makes you eligible straight away. Next slide. Income, basically, if, if you're on benefits of any type, then you would be eligible straight away. I'll let you just read through those. Next slide, please. Um, vulnerability. Um, recently bereaved, victims of domestic violence, moving in and out of homelessness, recent immigrant or asylum seeker. Households with elderly over the age of 65. So that's me. Um, so there's a lot of us here that are over 65, and therefore you are eligible for this advice service. Next slide. Uh, you could be on the Priority Services Register, if you've ever heard of that. Um, and to be on that, you would have reached state pension age, be disabled, have a long-term medical condition, recover from injury. You can read them yourself. Lots and lots of different conditions that would, would mean that you're eligible for this service. So what is the service? <laughs> Cold to cozy homes. They provide advice by telephone call. Or they can have a home visit by a qualified advisor. They can provide draft-proofing advice, energy-saving kits, LED bulbs, advice on energy tariffs, and referrals to other agencies. Next slide. So the home visit, a qualified home energy advisor will spend up to two hours assessing the needs and providing householders with advice and knowledge to make a difference. The assessment, as you can read, it considers the construction of the property, the knowledge and the lifestyle and everybody, the thermal comfort required and other obstacles. Um, and they take into account the, the individuals living there as well, their skills and resources, knowledge and health conditions, and provide direct advice. So very useful if you, you perhaps you were in a bit of fuel poverty to get advice. Next slide, please. Just read that, yeah. Um, and, and advice would include how to use heating systems effectively, uh, handling damp and ventilation, checking insulation, fuel tariffs, and payment options, referral to the fire service. If there are other hazards in the home that perhaps you might uh, benefit from getting some advice from specialists, uh, they'll check meters and energy bills and sometimes find errors. So that's quite handy. Uh, and refer you for larger energy efficiency measures, such as insulation, for instance, which you might be able to get. Yeah. And advice on smart meters. And next slide. Now, there's a few numbers on there. Uh, don't go rushing for your pens to write this down. If you're interested, there, there will be a little article going out in the next church newsletter, so this information will be on there, so don't need to panic about that. You can go on the website, you can make a phone call, or you can email them. And by, you can self-refer. So if you feel that you're in the categories that you would require some advice, some help, then you can ask for it. They can only say no or yes, can't they? You know, nothing to lose. And perhaps it would be very useful. Or perhaps you, you're not feeling that you need advice or help, but you know someone that does. And if so, then you can refer them on their behalf, but probably you'd want to speak to them first. But maybe you could help them. So that, that's really it, uh, not much else to say. Next, last slide. If you've got any questions, I'm happy to talk to you after the service if you wish, um, or take a phone call. If you would require assistance actually making a referral, then again, give me a shout and perhaps I can help you do that. And that's it, thank you very much.
okay. Might wonder why, why are we involved in all this? Well, because actually we care about our community and we care about the people in it. And uh, if you were to come and help us on Mealshare um, on a Thursday, uh, the week before Christmas we had six new referrals in one week. And if you come down, you'll see people who can't afford to put £10 on their electricity meter, and when they do, £7 of it disappears before they know what's happened. And another £3 disappears when they put the heater on. And so we're constantly engaging with people who need this sort of help. But the reality is that actually all of us actually engage with people who have those issues and need some help. Okay, and we're trying to equip you to give some answers to practical problems. Is that okay? So, as you'd be aware, if you've been around for a long time, we have been uh, preaching through our statement of faith. Uh, this is a leaflet that we produced. If you haven't read it and seen it, uh, there's some available on the welcome desk as you come in. And we'd love you to have a copy. Um, but we've been working through it, and I've personally found it really, really helpful Every week, yeah, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. I don't necessarily practice it, but I believe it, so I'm going to try and put it into practice. Okay, and uh, we really wanted to lay, relay the foundations of what we believe, who we are, and what our values are through our statement of faith. In doing that, what I've noticed is that sometimes we're preaching into our present situation. In other words, this is what the church is like. Let's do more of it. And sometimes we are preaching to an ideal or a future or something we would like to see happen. Okay? And we've done that various times during the, the, the Statement of Faith preachers. But this morning, I want you to be clear, I'm preaching to what I would like us to be, not necessarily where we are. Okay? So when I'm describing some of the things that I think we should be, I'm realizing, actually, as I've gone through it, I'm realizing, actually, we're not quite there. In fact, some, in some areas, we're quite a long way off. And I'm preaching to myself, because as I've written this preach, I've realized that um, I identify with everything I'm just about to say. Okay? And I'll explain that a little bit more as we go through it. This world that we live in, unless you live in a different planet, this world is a broken place. It's an utterly broken place. Whatever man seems to touch breaks. Whether that's the world that we live in, or the relationships that we have, or the things we believe, the ideals we have, the values, everything we touch as a human race, seems to break. And I have a saying that we live in a broken world who do broken things. And it's, for me, that's true. Just read the newspapers. And the church is a collection of people who have transitioned from this broken world into the new kingdom of God. That's what we are. We're now citizens not of the world as it is, but the world that God intends us to live in. 
But I've got some news for you. We are still broken people who do broken things. And I've been part of a church. I'm 62 years old. There has not been one year in my life that I've not been either taken to, been part of, attended a church. And I have to tell you that I have not yet found a church that doesn't have broken people who do broken things. Now you might think Kings is the bee's knees. Um, and so be it. But let me tell you that actually the reality is that I am a broken person and I do broken things. And I do things that are not gospel-centric. I do things that are not of the kingdom. But because I have the Spirit of God in me, I'm learning to recognize that and I'm learning to live a gospel life that helps heal the brokenhearted and myself and restore what God intended, which was a God-centered life here together in community. It's called sanctification. And we're all going through that process. And because the world is an unsafe place, which is insecure and it's fearful, it's full of pain, we as a people of God are meant to be a prophetic people to that world, showing not just that we retreat into our little huddle, let's all be Christians together, and actually, let's all do small groups together, and let's all do this together, and all do that together, and let's not have any non-Christian friends because we're in our little safe enclave. We're meant to be a prophetic people who go into the world who show that broken people can be healed, restored, ransomed, forgiven. That's what we're meant to do. We're supposed to be a prophetic statement of God's kingdom to this broken world. Oh gosh, you all look so happy. Is that not true? Is that not what we're meant to be? That's why I'm preaching to an ideal this morning. I'm trying to, this morning I want you to look at something and go, that's what I want. That's where I want to be. So we're going to be preaching on the church as a place of safety, justice, and love. Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge. We could read it, and it tells us clearly God is a refuge. And if God is the, our refuge, our community of God-centered people should also be a place of refuge and security. We should reflect the Trinity who operates securely, justly, justly, with love together. We're learning to do that as a community together. The parable of the mustard seed is about the kingdom of God being planted as small as a mustard seed. It's a, it's a, a parable that I love. I refer to it a lot. The mustard seed grows into a huge tree. The kingdom of God grows from a small seed into a big kingdom. And it says, the birds of the earth come and rest in it. It's taken me a long time, but I suddenly began to ask the question about three or four years ago, who are the birds of the air? Well, it's not me, because I'm part of the kingdom. Who is it? It's those people out there in the streets, non-Christians, people who do not yet believe, who find refuge in the things that we do, and they rest 
in the kingdom. We do kingdom things and they come and rest and enjoy it and they benefit and they're blessed by it. Some of the things we do, English Cafe, Bridge Cafe, Mealshare, Amplify, we could go on and on. We're doing things that are kingdom things that non-kingdom people come and enjoy and rest and are secure. What I'm preaching about this morning, we're speaking into the church culture for us in the church and for those outside the church. Because if we are not able to exhibit safety and justice and love, we have no chance of inviting people into our midst so that they can enjoy the same things. I can only give people what I have. I can't give them what I don't have. Just think about that for a second. When we try to preach the gospel, sometimes we're trying to preach what we don't yet believe ourselves and trying to convince somebody else that it's true when we've not yet convinced ourselves it's true. Is that okay? Gosh, you're all looking a bit sad. Am I kind of being a bit heavy? I'm sorry. Do you want me to tell a joke? Would that, would that help? No, no, no. So let's look at these three things. What are they? And how does it work in the church? Well, let's look at safety. Church is meant to be a place of safety. That means a place of security. Where those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are damaged, whether that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, can be safe together. Secure in our relationships together. It's very hard to trust people when you're hurting or you're broken or you're damaged. But we're meant to be a place where those exact people, in fact, people like me, can feel secure and safe with people like you. That's what we're meant to be. It's meant to be a place of protection, a place where people don't get hurt. The churches, we're supposed to protect each other, cover each other's backs. That's what friends do. That's what we do in community. That's what we do in families. We protect each other. We care for each other. My old man used to say, uh, you better look after your sisters and each other because nobody else will. And when we come to the church, we, we, we better start learning how to care for each other and protect each other. Like I said, I've been in church for 60 years and I can tell you from personal experience that actually sometimes church is the place where I get hurt most. Because I, I trust you and I expose my, who I am and what I'm doing. And sometimes that's not reciprocated and sometimes I get trampled on. And I know you all think I'm a very hard exterior Yorkshire guy, but inside beats a very soft heart. And it's got lots of knife marks in it. Okay? It's a place where people shouldn't get damaged. The church is a place where people should not be injured. It's a place of growth where people can flourish. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but children flourish best in households that are healthy. We as foster parents know what it's like to have children in our house who physically seem to have grown, but sometimes aren't, but emotionally are stunted at a, an age where, and you think, why is an eight-year-old reacting like a one-year-old? Because they've lived in families where growth, where it's not been healthy and growth has been stunted. How can I tell whether King's Church is a place of safety? Well, it's because I'm starting to see mature Christians growing up, flourishing in their gifting, in their character, in their abilities. My children were encouraged to go and do the best they can with the skills they've got. In some families, we're told, I mean, I, I, I remember as a child being told many times how useless I was. And that can stunt our growth. And as a church, we can do that to each other quite easily and quickly. So a place of safety is a place where people can be healed, restored, ransomed, forgiven. The church should be that very place where, actually, when I mess up, which I do on a daily basis, it should be a place where, actually, you can restore me. You can heal me. You can forgive me. You can set my feet on the right path again and move me on. The church is a place where people should be able to freely and openly explore the things that trouble them and be set free from them. Our past is our past. We don't have to live by our past. We have to live by the future that we have in Christ and all he's done for us. But some people need to explore those things and they need to be set free from them. Whether that's thoughts or habits, attitudes, whatever it happens to be. So what about justice? Well, Isaiah 61, one of my top ten passages of scripture. You know I work for Jubilee Plus. We take our Jubilee Plus works, you know, comes out of this. Justice is good news for the poor. The hungry are fed. The homeless housed. The lonely put in families. That's justice. It's good news for those who need it. That's why we're doing things like cozy homes. Justice. There's something unjust about people not being able to put money on their meter because they can't afford it. It's unjust. The gospel is good news for the poor. That's what it says in Isaiah 61. It's a place for the brokenhearted. Where those who are hurting because of things done to them have a place of healing. Justice restores people. Justice is the process of putting right things that have been put, are done that are wrong. That's justice. And God is a God of justice. He's just and true. 
and things that have been put wrong and things that have been done wrong, he wants to put right. And guess who he uses to put things right with? You and me. It's a place where captives are set free from words, from actions, from habits, issues. It's good news, justice is good news for people who are broken, who can be completely restored. It's good news for those who mourn. Justice. It's a place where people who are mourned can find peace and rest. And we're meant to be that people who exhibit those things. It's a place where people who are downcast, outcast, disenfranchised, unlovable, smelly, scruffy, just like me, where they can come and they can not just be cleaned up, but they can become oaks of righteousness. It's not just about doing things, putting things right. It's about restoring something that should have been in the first place. We should be oaks of righteousness, but we're often downcast, outsiders, disenfranchised. God just doesn't want to clean us up and stand us and look at us. He wants us to become the oaks of righteousness. It's, it's not just sorting things out from the past. It's actually bringing justice into the future where people can be the people they're supposed to be with all the gifts and skills that they're meant to have. It's the place, the church should be the place where the ills and woes of the world are not just reversed, but they're replaced so that things are so, so much better than they ever were before. That's restoration. A place where the unloved find love. Let's look at love. Sorry, I've just jumped. A place where unloved can find love. From my day-to-day business working out in the community, we come across lots of unlovable people. Okay? And um, Dave and I work together quite a lot on meal sharing. I can tell you we come across some quite unlovable people. But that's not my problem. My problem is to show them the love that they don't have. To, to let them know that they're accepted and cared for. Some of the things I hear people say inside me, everything's screaming out, this is not right, this is not right, this is not... I tell them that their attitude about this is wrong, there's something wrong here. But actually my responsibility is to love them and care for them and accept them where they are in the name of Jesus. What does it look like in a church to have love? Well, let's just read 1 Corinthians 13 because we can't go to a better place to find out the sort of people we should be. Love is patient and kind. Now, as I'm reading this, don't think about weddings. This passage of Scripture was not written for weddings. Okay? You write it in a wedding, it's out of context. The context is spiritual gifts and church leadership and church community how we should be doing things together. As I'm going through this, I'll go through slowly, I want you to just tick off in your mind, just think of a scale of 0 to 10 and whereabouts on this particular issue you are. Okay? 
Love is patient. Well, that's me gone. Love is kind. I've gone again. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. I think I'll stop there. I might as well sit down right now. <laughs> it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. That's who we are. We're just dimly looking at each other. I look at myself in a mirror and it doesn't seem right sometimes. When I look at Jesus, I see him like a window smeared with Vaseline. I can see the image, but I can't make it out. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest is love. This is who we should be. That's why I'm preaching to an ideal. So, I'm just going to pause for a second and consider for the next few minutes why we get ourselves in a position where we're not like these things, if that's okay. Because it's easier. Paul here hasn't described love to some extent. He's described bits of it, but he's also described what it isn't. It's helpful sometimes to realize the things we're doing which stop us from being a place of safety, justice, and love, so we can actually become it more and more. I want you to know that as I've prepared this little bit of the sermon, that, that I'm going to identify with everything that's in here. Okay? And you'll see why in a minute. I'm dealing with these issues on a daily basis. None of us are free from it entirely. But we're working through the process of sanctification to become more like Jesus, who is all these who's defeated all these things. Galatians, we're going to stop in Galatians, chapter 5. And Paul is describing in Galatians what the kingdom of darkness was like and how we behaved and what it's like to be in the kingdom of God and how we should behave. And the problem is, for, for some of us, maybe you are so sanctified that you're ready for heaven. I'm not. I've got another... I'd like another lifetime, please, Jesus. But listen, what we tend to do is we bring things from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because we've learned them as habits. Things that we should take off uh, feel like comfortable clothes when we come into the kingdom of God and we want to hang on to them. 
Whereas what God wants to do is to take them off and give us something completely different. So here's some things that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. In other words, Paul's saying, and this list could go on forever. That's how we used to live. If you go down into Cockermouth today and talk to some people, you will discover very quickly that's where the majority of people live. It's commonplace in our world for affairs and sexual immorality and purity, all sorts of things. You just switch your tally on, it just goes on and on and on. That's where they live, but some of us bring those things into the kingdom of God. We've not yet been set free from some of the things that we need to be set free from. So I'm just going to look at some. Anger. The reason, one of the reasons why we are not yet 100% a place of safety, justice and love is because of anger. I'm angry with you and you're angry with me. Actually, the reality is I'm angry with myself. That's the biggest issue I face, is my anger towards me. Anger is just the emotion of not getting what I want when I want it. We often exhibit anger amongst ourselves, but because we're British, we swallow it, and it goes inside, and we kind of have these mental conversations with people. Do you ever have mental conversations? Do you know what I'm talking about? When I see that person, I'm going to say, you shouldn't have said that. Everything you did was really upset me. And inside I'm getting more and more angry and angry and angry and angrier. And then I see Roger and I go, hi Roger, nice to see you. How you doing? Do you do that? It means, actually, I'm harboring something towards my brother which makes it a place where he's not safe anymore. And neither am I. I'm angry because I didn't get the position in church that I thought I was going to get. God told me I should be, I am not, I am angry. I'm angry because things didn't work out the way I thought things were going to be. It makes its place unsafe for you and for me. Gossip. Paul talks about gossip. Now I'm going to confess something here in public which is going to shock you. But one of my first questions to Joel and Zoe on a Monday morning is, so what's the gossip? Okay? What's the gossip? What's going on? Tell me. Gossip kills safety, justice, and love fast. 
gossip is about me wanting to know something and tell you something that you don't know that makes me feel better about myself and puts you down or puts somebody else down. When people come to us as pastoral care, the last thing we should be thinking about is gossip. Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? Oh, you know, for your prayer life, I just want to tell you, listen, gossip kills people inside. Gossip is like a pernicious weed that goes through the church. Pernicious. Can't get rid of it. Pops up when you least expect it. And do you know what it does to me when I hear gossip? First of all, I take the godly route and say, I'm not listening to that. But the reality is that inside, I think, oh, perhaps I can't trust that person anymore. Or that person, they've told me this about Dave. Perhaps I can't trust Dave anymore. Trust goes out the window. Fear is another one. Welcome back, Kirk, guys. Fear. I'm fearful of what you might say. I'm fearful about what, what you might think. When I just shared about my Monday morning question to you, I stood here in fear thinking that uh, that's it. I've blown it. You're not going to love me anymore. Should I shout or not? Should I say it? I want to look good. I'm fearful of what you might think about me. People are living in this church, are living with things that have happened to them. Things that have destroyed them in the past and they're living with it and they're fearful because they don't know whether they can trust you enough to be able to tell you what's going on in their lives. Fear. It's a horrible thing. Horrible. It traps us. It traps us emotionally and spiritually so we can't get out. I'm fearful. What about pride? And its alternative, inverted pride. Ever so humble. Ever so humble. Pride is a dreadful sin. I'm better than you are. Sorry, Sheila, I'm just looking at you and not pointing that out. I'm better than you. And that makes people who are, who are carrying things that want safety and love and care and justice, it makes them feel fearful because suddenly I've projected something that's not true. But so is inverted pride. Nobody listens to me, nobody cares. Arrogance. Arrogance is a dreadful thing. Welcome back, guys. We're coming into land. Arrogance tells me that I am better than you, and I know better than you, and I'm going to tell you that I'm better than you. And I would never have done that. I would never have said that. I would never think that about you. Arrogance. When people are hurting and they're looking for a place of safety, arrogance just kills anything that's in them. What about dissension? There's an old word. 
means arguing, disputing together. Arguing. I grew up in a church where, in years gone by, where there were people not talking to each other. That's awful. In the kingdom of God, people not talking to each other. It's an affront to the gospel. People who argue all the time. Now I'm a Yorkshireman, I can have an argument with myself in the telephone box without a telephone in it. Okay? And because I'm Yorkshire, I'm arrogant and I'm always right anyway. Listen. If you're in dispute with somebody, go and sort it out. It kills safety, justice and love. It is not what's in 1 Corinthians. Go and sort it out. How can we break bread together with bread and wine, sharing community together when we're arguing and not talking to each other? How dare you? Listen. Sort it out with love and care. I'm speaking to myself. I know that I can be very argumentative. Jealousy and envy. Jealousy just says, I want what you've got. It's the root of lust. I want everything you've got. And I want it now. So what's the antidote? How do we become a place of safety, justice, and love? Well, Paul goes on to say this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. We are to be filled with the Spirit to become people like Jesus. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we start inescapably, for some reason, we just become like Jesus. I start to put off these things. I start to put on these things. I start to be a person of love, patience, peace. It's not something I have to work in myself. It's something the Spirit does for me. And finally, we need to put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul says it. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Now I need you to help me and you need me to help you. When I'm doing things that are not of God, are not of the kingdom, that make this place a place that's unsafe, unjust, unlovely, with love and care and delicacy, please come and tell me. Listen, I need to repent. And I need to put on things. And I need to be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. So we're going to stop. We've got time for one song, please. And what I want to do is, I want to ask you and challenge you about the things that you are, do, think, habits, etc., which I may not have listed. I've just done a few. Listen, I know there are things in my life that I need to repent of, I need to turn around, I need to do the opposite.
So this place, this church can become a place of safety, a place of justice, a place of love, a place where the people in the streets would love to come and just feel secure. A place where those who do not yet know Jesus can see Jesus because that's what I'm exhibiting. I need to be a person who dies to the flesh and lives by the fruit of the Spirit. Does that make sense? If I've offended you, I'm really sorry. It's all my fault. It's always my fault. I know it's my fault. Please, listen. Don't let my words be an offence that stops you from sorting things out. We're going to sing. As we sing, I don't know how to do this. As we sing, let's stand. One of the beauties of the way we set up the church on Sunday morning is that there are lots of aisles. And I don't care what it is that God wants to deal with you or talk to you about this morning, but if you know God's speaking to you, why don't you just step into the aisle? People can pray with you. Let's be a Let's be the church that God intends us to be.